Welcome once again to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. I'm Pastor Travis Alltop, and it's a privilege to have an open Bible before me again this week as we look into the Word of God. Our prayer is that you are getting some help from these Bible lessons and that you follow along with us each week. Let me always encourage the listening audience, get your Bible open. As my old uh, history teacher used to say in high school, let's open our textbook and stamp out some ignorance. Well, you know what Christians need to do these days? We need to open the Bible and stamp out some of our ignorance. And uh, this book is the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Uh, Sanctify them through thy truth, Jesus prayed. Uh, Thy word is truth. And so we're in Luke 22 this week. I'd ask you to turn to Luke 22. Keep your Bible handy because we will be uh, going to some different verses to define uh, what words mean. The Holy Spirit has a way of defining his own book. It's called cross-referencing. Many times people get confused in their Bible because they put their own personal definitions or thoughts or ideas or religion over certain words. This is a mistake. You must allow the Bible to define what it's talking about, and uh, that's the way you learn the Scriptures. Scripture with Scripture is the old saying. So we're going to be in Luke 22, but by way of introduction, let me give you a couple of words here and uh, to set you up for today's lesson. Number one, let me say this. What I'm about to teach you and to show you from the Bible, some of you will already know it, many of you may not. And I hope it's a blessing to save people and I hope it's conviction to lost people. But listen, what I'm about to expound today is the most important truth you will ever hear. What I'm going to say today for the next 25 minutes or so is 10 times more important than anything you got on Fox News, Sean Hannity's show, Tucker Carlson, CNN, or any kind of whatever it is that you listen to for your news What I'm going to teach you and show you this morning from the Bible or today on the broadcast, what we're going to look at is more important information than any of the truth, half-truths, or outright lies that you digested and ingested by listening to the news media this last week. Now, why do I poss- Why would I even say something like that? Because, listen, whatever you listen to in the news media, they were always coming from one point of view, and that's the natural man's point of view. It's all about the here and the now and the temporal. But what I'm about to talk to you about is about eternity. Eternity means forever. Jesus Christ asked this great question in Mark chapter 8. He said, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The information that I'll be throwing out there today has directly to do with your own soul and the salvation of your never-dying soul. It has to do with eternity. It's not, this is not a religious program. I know many of you think that it is, but it's not religion we're discussing today. We're discussing eternal truth. And I'm going to tell you something, when it comes to eternity, you can be wrong about a lot of things. You can be wrong politically. You can be wrong about your money. You can be wrong about uh, what lawyer to call. You can be wrong about what job you take. You can be wrong about a lot of things. But my friend, you cannot, you cannot, I repeat, you cannot be wrong about the salvation of your soul and about eternity. For to be wrong and err in this department is to come to damnation for all of eternity. Uh, <clears throat> a friend of mine teases me some about how I, he thinks I uh, am so hard on religion on this program. 
Well, the truth of the matter is, religion is one of the most damnable things that's ever deceived mankind since the beginning of time. The devil is usually behind religion. And I'll give you an example of what I mean. Religion will always cause you to look at yourself and what you can do, and it will always hinder you from ever seeing the gospel in its full light and what it really was designed to do, which was to show you the way home. The gospel is religion just gets you busy running around trying to make your way to God by impressing him with your the filthy rags of your own self-righteousness. Now, listen, I'll give you an example. Uh, there was a man I heard of recently. I got this uh, directly from people who were there, a man who was dying and he was a religious man. I won't even tell you what church he belonged to because uh, you would you'd quit listening to me when I told you what church. I want you to see what I'm talking about in real life. He was about to die. He was only 10 days away from his death date. He knew he was dying. His family was gathered around his deathbed. And, and when he was during a conscious moment, he said, what if I've uh, not done enough? What if I'm still going to hell? Now, where did he ever get an idea that he could do enough to get out of hell. And obviously that didn't help him because he wasn't confident. His conscience was convicting him that he was not ready to die. Like some of you that are listening to the broadcast, you're not ready to face God. And this man's conscience rose up in the last hours of his life and said, you're not ready. And he was afraid. He said, what if I go to hell anyway? To which the deceived people around his bed said, well, you've, you've lived a better life than I have. Now, who am I talking about? I'm not talking about someone who was an atheist. I'm not talking about someone who did not know the name of Jesus Christ or even the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But this man was involved in a church that had told him to be a good little boy all of his life and to do right and come and see us every once in a while, especially at Christmas and Easter, maybe when someone gets married or someone dies, show up and stay on good terms, give us your tithes, your offerings, and uh, we'll pray for you and just do the best you can, follow the commandments, you know, and if you don't, then just, you know, try to make up for it another way. In other words, his church just told him to do good. His church just told him to be moral. His church just told him a few uh, nice stories from now and uh, every now and then. And his church told him that if he would be good, he'd probably go to heaven. And when the man came down to die, are you listening to me? He had nothing to hang on to. And the truth of the matter is, because he was worried if he had, quote, done enough, shows you that he never understood the gospel and therefore never believed the gospel. And therefore, he was lost. And when he slipped off into eternity, he dropped into eternal damnation in a place called hell where they weep and wail and gnash their teeth, all because his religion deceived him all the days of his life. And rather than look in the New Testament and find out what it was all about, he continued to let somebody else do his thinking for him. Now, listen, on this program, like I said at the start of the broadcast, I'm not asking you to let me do your thinking for you. I'm causing you and asking you to open your Bible and follow along that you might see the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. So look with me, if you will, today. Let's look in Luke 22. The context is the night that Jesus Christ is about to be arrested. And on the evening of his arrest, he took his disciples, namely Peter, James, and John, and he took them into the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed there. He asked them to pray. 
And he went about a stone's cast from them and prayed. So let's read it together. Luke 22, let's pick it up in verse 39. Luke 22, verse 39. The Bible says this, speaking of Jesus Christ, it says, and he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Hebrews chapter 5 gives us some more information about this uh, narrative when it tells us in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, that the Son of Man, when he prayed here in an agony, that he prayed with strong crying and tears. So what I know is that Jesus Christ is under great duress and stress and pressure. He's being pressed upon from uh, inwardly and outwardly. And he is praying fervently in the garden saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Now, this cup, we want to identify what is this cup. First of all, we know that Jesus Christ dreaded this cup. Whatever's in it, he was dreading it. What do you do with the cup? Well, you drink its contents. He was dreading the idea of this cup. Why did he dread it? Well, let me first of all tell you why he, what he wasn't praying for. He wasn't asking uh, to be delivered from death. This cup is not the cup of death. Jesus Christ had already told us during his earthly ministry, according to John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, that he had the power of life and death. He said, no man taketh my life from me. He says, I uh, can lay it down and I can take it again. He says, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. He wasn't afraid of death. In fact, there was times when they tried to kill him during his earthly ministry and couldn't because his time had not come. But here he's praying fervently in an agony, so much so that an angel appeared unto him from heaven and strengthened him. He was praying and sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. He was crying. He was sweating. He was agonizing in prayer. Why did he dread this cup? Well, because he's a holy and a righteous man. I want to know what's in the cup that he's dreading. Well, if you want to know what's in the cup, we must compare Scripture with Scripture and uh, turn to Psalm 75. I'll give you one good reference today to give you a preview and to give you an insight into what is in this cup that our Lord is dreading to drink. I didn't say he was recoiling from coming to do what God asked him to do. He was simply responding the way a holy man must respond to what was in this cup. That Bible says of our Lord Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 26 that he was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. He's not, he was not like me and you. He was not a sinner. He was a holy, righteous man. And whatever's in this cup causes a holy, righteous man. His holy response has to be one of dread. So he prays, Father, if it be possible, let this cup Pass from me. What was he dreading? What was in that cup that he dreaded? Well, look with me, if you will, in Psalm 75, verse 8. Scripture with Scripture to get our definitions. 
The Bible says, for in the hand of the Lord, that's capital L-O-R-D, that's the Father, that's Jehovah. In the hand of the Lord, there is a cup and the wine is red. It is full of mixture and he poureth out of the same But the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth shall wring them out and drink them. This cup is full of the dregs of damnation because it's going to one day be poured out from God on the inhabitants of the Christ-rejecting, Bible-denying, God-hating inhabitants of this earth. All of the wicked of the earth shall wring out this cup and drink the dregs from this cup. You say, what's in the cup? It's the cup of damnation. It's the dregs of sin and God's anger and wrath on sin. And can I tell you, our holy Lord and Savior Jesus Christ dreaded this cup of damnation, not because he was afraid or not because he did not love us, but because what was in that cup, a holy man must, if he's truly holy, must resist. And he prayed and said, Father, If thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. His attitude was always one of total submission to his father. This is not rebellion. This is total submission. But the Holy Lord Jesus Christ knew what was in that cup he was about to have to drink. And what was in that cup was nothing more than the filth of sin and the damnation of sinners. And listen, it was the wrath of God that's really reserved for the wicked But yet Christ is about to become sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, maybe to give you a little illustration here that you might understand how disgusting this cup must have seemed, how dreadful this cup must have seemed to our lovely Lord Jesus. Let me give you this little nugget. I remember meeting, I've got a good friend He is getting close to going home to be with the Lord. He's been on the mission field for 35 years. Brother Tommy Tillman, missionary to the lepers of Thailand. He spent over three decades ministering to this forgotten people. These people are still eat up in Thailand with leprosy. There's leper colonies over there. And uh, Tommy Tillman went among them for the last uh, 35 years and ministered the gospel to them. But he said that one of the ways he had to go about winning their confidence And really proving that he loved them was the fact that he had to live among them. And he had to eat with them and drink with them. And he said they lived in abject poverty and and the uh, cleanliness was next to nil. And they lived in filthy huts and ate uh, disgusting food, just to be honest. And the hygiene and the the quality of the cleanliness of their homes was uh, very low. And he said one day he was in the home of a friend of his. And he said, I could not offend this man, but he said, he served me a cup of coffee. And he goes, I looked down in that cup of coffee. And he said, out of that coffee, he goes, I saw a roach. He said, crawl up over the rim of that cup and skedaddle across the top of the counter. And he said, there was absolutely no way that he goes that I would offend my friend. And he says, it's a great, it's a great insult not to eat what is set before you in that country. And he said, I just took that cup and I drank that coffee as though it was just the best cup of coffee I'd ever had. Now, some of you with the idea, the thought of a filthy roach being in your cup of coffee and coming scurrying out of a cool cup of coffee like that, uh, it, it's almost more it. Listen, I know what it does to my mind, how it makes my stomach queasy. 
Well, let me tell you something. That's the kind of filth and worse that our Lord Jesus Christ was about to press to his lips. My friend, God in his love for sinners, Jesus Christ is about God manifest in the flesh as a man is about to take the cup of damnation, the dregs of God's wrath and the filth of sin and press it to his holy lips and drink that cup. You say, preacher, how do you know he drank it? I think God delivered him from it. Well, look here in John chapter 18. Let's get a Bible answer for that. Because in John 18, we get some more information of what took place in the Garden of Gethsemane after Jesus Christ prayed three times for the Father to remove the cup and followed that request up with, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He had his answer, which was total silence. And he stood up and he met that angry mob that Judas Iscariot, that old devil came and, and sold the Lord out for 30 pieces of silver and brought that mob with torches and lanterns and weapons and placed Jesus Christ under arrest. We read these words in John 18, verse 10. It says, Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant, which was a mistake. But you'll make a lot of mistakes when you fall asleep when you should be praying. But the Bible says in verse 11, look with me if you will, John 18, 11, then said Jesus unto Peter, put up thy sword into the sheath. Look at it. The cup, the cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? And my friend Jesus Christ, without batting an eye, went forward, having dreaded the cup of damnation that so richly we so richly deserve, and he certainly did not deserve, Nevertheless, he went forward from that garden and he drank the cup. You say, how did he drink it? Well, obviously it wasn't a literal cup. It's symbolic of being placed under the wrath of Almighty God. Listen, Jesus Christ didn't just set a good example at the cross. Friend, that Bible says he became sin. It says that he was made sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, listen to the word of God. Remember I told you this is the most important information you'll ever hear. This is more important than any news broadcast you may have listened to this week. Here's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 from the perfect, infallible, preserved word of God says. Speaking of God and his son Jesus Christ, it says he made him to be sin for us. You see, when you drink a cup... You take the contents of the cup and you ingest it. It goes in and becomes a part of you. Jesus Christ didn't just die for sin. He became sin. And that Bible tells us later in 1 Peter 2.24 that he bore our sins in his own body. You say, how could he take our sins? How could he be made sin? Because he drank our cup of damnation and the dregs of God's wrath. He drank it. You say, what is sin? Well, sin is the transgression of the law. And Jesus Christ, who was holy and harmless and undefiled, who was the sinless, spotless, and pure Lamb of God, became sin for us. You say, how did he do it? He suffered and died. He was wounded for our transgressions, the transgressions of God's law. He became a thief. He became a drunkard. He became that murderer. He became the one guilty of blasphemy. He became 
that rapist. He became that liar. He became that lust-filled man, that man full of hate. He became the idolater and the adulterer. He was the one who disobeyed as far as God's accounting system was. When he drank our cup of wrath and damnation, he became all of those things and God punished him as though he was guilty. Why did he punish him? Not because he had any sin of his own, but it's because he took our sin up on him and he became our substitute and the Lord hath made him to be sin and the Lord, amen, put our iniquity upon him and chastise him for our sins, what we're guilty of. Listen, friend, you're not nearly as good of a person as you think you are. And if you think you are, I challenge you to examine yourself against the law of God. God doesn't just examine our actions. He examines our attitudes. And therefore, the Bible concludes that there is none righteous. No, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter what walk of life you are. It doesn't matter if you're a bum, a drunken bum in Printer's Alley or some educated well-respected moral man who lives in a half a million dollar home. My friend, one thing is true. There's a great indictment against all mankind. We are all sinners at heart and the heart is deceitful above all things. And if we got what we deserved, we would be condemned to a devil's hell for all of eternity. And if you don't believe that, it's because you will not look into the perfect mirror of the law of God and actually look and accept the reflection that you get. Open that Bible up and see what it says about you. It says over there in Romans chapter 3 that our mouth is full of cursing. It says that our feet are swift to run to mischief. It says over there in Romans chapter 3 that we've all gone out of the way, that we're altogether unprofitable, that there is none that doeth good. It says that our throat is an open sepulcher, and with our tongues we've used deceit, And the poison of asps is under our lips, and our mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Our feet are swift to shed blood, and destruction and misery are in our ways. The way of peace we have not known, and there is no fear of God before our eyes. That's an indictment against all of mankind. Amen. Not just the really wicked people that you know of or you think you know about, but that includes you. And you say, what do I deserve? Well, you deserve the damnation that you've so richly earned. But the love of God steps in, and the Son of God became sin for us. Blessed blessed be his wonderful name. And Jesus Christ drank the cup of damnation for us. And you know something what he did? He not only drank that cup when he suffered and died and bled on Calvary's cross, outside the city walls of Jerusalem, having been whipped, his flesh hanging in ribbons, having had a crown of thorns mockingly beat into his brow, until the blood ran down his face, having his beard plucked out of his cheeks and spit in his face, sinners spitting in his face, his, uh, the Roman soldiers beating him with the palms of their hands. His visage was marred more than any man, and the nails uh, went through his feet and hands, and he hung on the cross, suffering under the wrath of God, drinking, symbolically drinking our cup of damnation and the dregs of our sin. And you know something? He drank that cup and I know something else. He drained the cup. Now, how do I know that? This way. 
John 19.30 says, When Jesus Christ came to the end of his suffering around 3 o'clock that afternoon, Jesus Christ cried out, It is finished. Redemption's work was complete. The cup that he drank all night, all morning, and all afternoon had been drained. He had drank it down and drained it and eaten the dregs, if you will. You say, how do you know? Because he was able to say, it is finished. You know, sometimes little children, if you have children, you can relate to this. You'll have a cup of medicine for them or maybe some kind of bitter thing that you've mixed in with some juice and, oh, they're just dreading it. But yet you convince them that they are going to drink it for their good and and maybe, uh, especially if, you got, if you've ever had a three, four, five-year-old and you've tried to get them to drink something bitter, uh, they'll say, okay, I'm finished. And they'll put the cup down and they will have tasted it, but they will not have finished it. You say, how you know? Because there's still some of the medicine or whatever it is in there in that cup that they don't want. You say, no, you're not finished. You've got to finish it. And finally, they tip it back. And when they set it down and say it's finished and you look in there and it's empty, then you say, yes, now it's finished. Now run and play. Well, when Jesus Christ cried out, it is finished, God says, yes, it is. He drank the cup. He drained the cup. And here's how we know. When Christ said it is finished, it must have been because three days later, blessed be his wonderful name, our Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead, proving that God Almighty, his Father in heaven, had accepted his payment and that Christ had drank our cup of damnation and that that cup had been drained to the dregs completely because he said it is finished and his father said I shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. God was satisfied. The wrath had been poured out. The demands of a holy law had been met and we know it was true and that it was accepted in heaven. Why? Because Jesus Christ got up from the dead three days later. And that is the good news. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried. And he rose again from the dead three days later according to the scriptures. That is the greatest news that a sinner will ever lay hold of. Christ dreaded what was in that cup because he was a holy man. What was in the cup? The dregs of sin and the wrath of God. And yet Jesus Christ went forward courageously and he drank it. And he drank that cup down and he finished it. And therefore the cup has been drained. And my damnation has already been tasted. Jesus Christ tasted death for every man. And now that Christ has died in my place, he offers us a different cup. It's the cup of salvation. Look in your Bible in closing here. In Psalm 116, look down with me and read verse 13. Psalm 116, verse 13, the psalmist says this, I will take the cup of salvation. You say, what's the cup of salvation? Well, it's not bitter dregs of God's anger and wrath on sin. It's not the, the cup of damnation any longer that God offers. No, Jesus Christ drained that cup. So therefore, he can now offer a free cup of eternal water to us, eternal life, which is likened to an everlasting drink of water. It's the clean, fresh cup of eternal life, the cup of salvation. And it's offered for free to whosoever will, let him come and take the water of life. And the psalmist says so brilliantly in Psalm 116, verse 13, 
I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. How do you take the cup of salvation? Believe that Christ died in your place and drained your cup, that bitter cup of damnation, and ask him for the cup instead of damnation, but rather the cup of salvation. And you know what? Jesus said this, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Ask him for that drink of eternal life. Trust him to save you and call upon his name, and you'll know what it is to get that everlasting, refreshing drink of eternal life. Everlasting water. Amen. I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are you saved? If not, why not? Christ died for you. He was buried and he rose again. He drained your cup that you so richly deserve of God's wrath. And he offers in its place the cup of salvation. Jesus invites you to come. Come unto me, he, uh, uh, he said. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, if, you want, if you're thirsty, ask me for a drink, and I'll give you a drink of everlasting life, and you'll never thirst again. May God help you to understand it, and may God help you to take that cup today. Thank you, Lord, for drinking my cup of damnation, and thank you for the free cup of salvation in its place.